This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, Canyon City, Colorado, MikeVendetti.com. Canada's Hundred Days by John Lively, Part 1, Chapter 7. Operations, August 9 through the 11th. We have seen how, on the opening day, all the objectives had been captured except the town of Le Croissant. On our extreme right, a strong position the enemy was able to hold because the French were not up on our flank. Plans for the renewal of the attack next day depended on an early clearing up of this situation by the 4th Canadian Division, and accordingly the 11th Brigade was entrusted with the task. The 75th Battalion, recruited from central and western Ontario, advanced by night to the assault, while the 87th Battalion, the Grenadier Guards of Montreal, was to make a flank march across the enemy front, passing south of the Roy Road and thence falling on the enemy's flank. These battalions had to take up their positions for the attack in the dark, by the stars and their maps and compasses, a difficult operation, but starting off at 4.30 a.m., they were on their appointed ground by 6 o'clock, when, aided by an intensive barrage, the attack was successfully pushed home. An amusing incident was the wager made between the brigadier and Lieutenant Colonel C. C. Harbottle of the 75th as to which would first occupy the enemy divisional headquarters, known to be in Le Coinsol. The battalion commander won out by a short space, and the brigade had to be content with less pretentious headquarters. To return to the narrative of the corps commander, quote, On the following day, August 9th, the advance was continued with the 3rd, 1st, and 2nd Canadian Divisions in the line, the 4th Canadian Division being held in corps reserve. Substantial progress was made, and by evening the average depth of our advance was about 4 miles, with a maximum of 6 and a half miles at some points. The following additional villages were captured. Le Quinceau, Blois, Beauchore, Beaufort, Warvels, Robet, Verde, Marchand, and Rissels. The infantry and tanks of the 3rd Canadian Division and the Canadian Independent Force cooperated with the French in the capture of Arveras. During the day, the enemy's resistance stiffened considerably, and whatever gains were made resulted from heavy infantry fighting against fresh troops with only a few tanks available for support. This advance had brought our troops within the area of the trenches and defenses occupied prior to the Somme operations of 1916. These trenches, while not in a good state of repair, were nevertheless protected by a considerable amount of wire and lent themselves readily to a very stubborn machine-gun defense." The battle had indeed assumed an entirely different character. Although an average of 6,000 yards was gained during the day, it was only at cost of very heavy ding-dong fighting with the best will in the world. It took time to bring up the artillery. Canadian railway troops were engaged in pushing up the railhead from Amiens, but progress was slow. In face of fresh enemy divisions, it was necessary to proceed with utmost caution and not expose our troops to needless losses unless the gain was positive, but the spirit of the men continued wonderful. In fact, Sir Arthur Curry found in his visits to advanced dressing stations many of our wounded anxious to get back into the line. The day's attack had been designed to open early in the morning 
the glimmer of dawn being the favorite hour of the Canadian Corps. But until Le Quesnel fell, this plan had to be postponed, and changes were also necessary in the alignment of the divisions, our 2nd Division extending its area further south, forcing the 1st Division to side-slip south about 5,000 yards. All this took time, and the kickoff did not therefore take place until well on in the day. The task assigned the Corps on August 9th was not so formidable to all seeming as that accomplished on the previous day. It meant an attack on a five-mile front to a depth of about three and a half miles. The objective was the Bouchoir, Rouvroy, Maricote Road. The country was almost flat, very open, with only a few villages and small woods scattered over it. The attack was to be carried out by the 3rd, 1st, and 2nd Divisions, from right to left. The 3rd Division had to advance down the Roy Road and capture Follet and Bonchour. The 1st Division had the villages of Beaufort, Moirelles, and Rouvroy on its front, while the 2nd Division was responsible for Verlaine, Rosiers, and Maricourt. On the right, as has been seen, the 3rd Division not only secured their objectives, but went out of the Corps area to assist the French in capturing Arvilliers. In the center, on the 1st Division front, the 1st Brigade was sent in to capture Beaufort and Rouvroy, and the 2nd Brigade against Warvilliers. The 1st Brigade attacked with the 1st Battalion, Western Ontario, and 4th Battalion, Central Ontario, in the line, the 2nd Battalion, Ottawa, in support, and the 3rd Battalion, recruited from Toronto District, in reserve. The attack was supported by two batteries of machine guns, and the 1st Brigade of Field Artillery covered the advance. From the outset, the attacking troops came under heavy machine gun fire from the high ground on the right. In order to deal with it, the right flank troops of the 1st Division were deflected south the 2nd Battalion being pushed forward to fill the gap, thereafter fighting right through to the objective. The 2nd Brigade was able to make rapid progress in the early stage of the attack, outstripping the troops on its right by the time Wurzvillers was reached. This village and the woods immediately to the south of it were captured by the aid of tanks, but with little difficulty. But on the extreme right, in the early stage of the attack, serious resistance was encountered, coming from a nest of machine guns in Hatchet Wood. The 2nd Brigade attacked with the 5th Battalion, Saskatchewan, and the 8th Battalion of Winnipeg. And there came up in support two battalions of the 3rd Brigade, the 15th recruited from the 48th Highlanders of Toronto and the 14th Royal Montreal Regiment. The intensive fighting on this front was fruitful of many individual deeds of gallantry. Thus, when his platoon came unexpectedly under fire of numerous machine guns, acting Sergeant George Frederick Coppins of the 8th Battalion, a native of London, England, finding that it was not possible to advance nor retire, and when no cover being available, it was apparent that the platoon must be annihilated unless the machine guns were at once silenced, called for four volunteers to follow him and leapt forward in the face of intense machine-gun fire. With his comrades, he rushed straight for the machine-guns. The four men with him were killed, and Corporal Coppins wounded. Despite his wounds, he reached the hostile machine-guns alone, killed the operator of the first gun, and three of the crew. 
and made prisoners of four others. Bold initiative on the part of Sergeant D. Zingle, 5th Battalion of Wolford, Alberta, saved the lives of many of his comrades. He was leading his platoon forward gallantly to the attack east of Warvirels, but had not gone far when he realized that a gap had occurred in his flank and that an enemy machine-gun was firing at close range into the advancing line. Grasping the situation, he rushed forward some two hundred yards ahead of the platoon, tackled the machine-gun emplacement, killed the officer and operator of the gun, and dispersed the crew. Later, when the battalion was held up by very heavy machine-gun fire, he displayed much tactical skill and directed his fire with destructive results. Shortly afterwards, he was rendered unconscious by an enemy shell, but on recovering consciousness, he at once continued to direct harassing fire on the enemy. Twelve tanks supported the 1st Canadian Division this day, six with each brigade, and all did valuable service. In addition, the divisional commander secured some whippet tanks from the Cavalry Corps, and these were of assistance in clearing Beaufort Wood. Meanwhile, on our left, in touch with the Australians, the 2nd Canadian Division had exceedingly stiff fighting. At 11 a.m., the 5th Brigade attacked on the right, and the 6th Brigade on the left, with the 4th Brigade in reserve. The 5th had in line the 25th Battalion Nova Scotia on the right, and the 22nd Battalion French Canadians on the left, and advanced under very heavy fire on Maricourt. Earlier in the day, this town had been ridden over by the 8th Hausers, but it was again in the hands of the enemy. The position was studded with machine-gun posts, the enemy being in great strength along the ravine from Verlaine to Maricourt, and the men fought their way forward slowly, reducing these strongholds in succession. The two battalions worked their way forward with the greatest gallantry and finally stormed Maricourt at 5 p.m., clearing the village and establishing a line in front of it. They were here, however, exposed to the point-blank fire of a battery at Maricourt. The 24th Battalion, Victoria Rifles of Montreal, and the 26th Battalion, New Brunswick, came up in support, and the line was consolidated. Brigadier General J. M. Ross was severely wounded, being incapacitated for several months. Command of the 5th Brigade, developing upon Lieutenant Colonel T. L. Tremblay of the 22nd Battalion. On our extreme left, the 6th Brigade had before it the considerable town of Rochevers supported by the railway embankment, and here the enemy was in great force, having established numerous machine-gun posts in the suburbs. Although the general attack of the 2nd Canadian Division was not to take place until 11 a.m., the battalion on our left, the 27th of Manitoba, attacked at 8 a.m. in conjunction with the Australians and not to hold up their advance. In its advance, the battalion was exposed to enfilade fire, from both flanks, and fought its way forward with the greatest difficulty, but with grim determination. It was indeed one of the hardest fights of its history, and it suffered heavy casualties before its troops entered the town at a quarter past one that afternoon. Here many prisoners and much booty was captured. On the brigade right, the 29th Battalion of Vancouver did not kick off until 11 a.m., synchronizing its advance with that of the 5th Brigade on its right. It was held up, too, by heavy flank fire from the direction of Rosaires, and it had a hard battle all the way, suffering 250 casualties. In Rosaires, the battalion captured an 11-inch naval gun mounted on a railway truck. 
In the afternoon, the 6th Brigade proceeded to the capture of its final objective for the day. In the high church tower of Rosiers, one of our batteries established an O-Pip observation post, and this elevation gave a fine view of the battle both north and south. About a mile east of Rosiers could be seen lying on the track an entire enemy train, which, laden with reinforcements, had been captured by Imperial cavalry. This church tower was a conspicuous mark to the enemy batteries further east, and not many hours passed before they brought it down. On her left, Australian troops had stormed Lyons, thus thrusting a sharp salient into the enemy defense, and their line thence fell back northwesterly through Roincourt and Proyart to Moorcourt on the Somme. The enemy, however, attacked in great force, and the Australians were obliged to fall back from both Lyons and Priart, converting for the time being our position at Maricourt into a salient. Fighting of the same character continued next day, August 10th. The attack was continued on the morning of August 10th, says Sir Arthur Currie, with the 3rd Canadian Division on the right and the 4th Canadian Division on the left, the 1st and 2nd Divisions being held in Corps Reserve. After the 3rd Canadian Division had taken the village of Le Quesnoy, the 32nd British Division, which had come under the Canadian Corps on the night of August 9th through the 10th, passed through it and advanced the line somewhat further from the old British trenches west of Parveres and Damrebray. The 4th Canadian Division during the day succeeded, after very hard fighting, in occupying Fouquescourt, Maucourt, Chile and Hulu. The capture of Fouquet's Court was particularly valuable in view of preparations and progress for an attack on the strong enemy positions between that village and the Roy Road. Desperate fighting took place on the 4th Canadian Divisional Front, where our left flank still presented a pronounced salient. On the divisional right, the 10th Brigade fought its way forward through a maze of enemy machine-gun positions in face of intensive artillery fire. All its battalions were heavily engaged at one stage or another, these being the 44th New Brunswick, but originally recruited in the west, the 46th South Saskatchewan, the 47th Western Ontario, and the 50th Calgary. The 12th Brigade, Brigadier General J. H. McBrien, carried on the attack on the left of our line from the neighborhood of Macourt, storming Macourt and Chile with the railway at Hulu the objective. The going was extraordinarily difficult. Through a maze of trenches and wires studded with machine-gun posts, the 78th Battalion of Winnipeg fought its way right through to Hulu. The 38th Battalion, Ottawa, also saw very heavy fighting in this sector, and in fact the whole brigade greatly distinguished itself the other battalions being the 72nd British Columbia and the 85th Nova Scotia. The 11th Brigade came up in support and was also heavily engaged, and here the 102nd Battalion, British Columbia, held a critical position in face of very heavy loss. But the enemy was able to bring up more artillery, and the salient was found untenable. During the night of August 10th, to the 11th, a strong enemy counterattack developed against a part of the front of the 4th Canadian Division east of Hulu, says the Corps commander. 
This counterattack was beaten off, but owing to general conditions, the line at the point was slightly withdrawn to the railway embankment immediately to the west of Halu. Subsequent upon the slight withdrawal, and with a view to reducing the existing salient forward to Chile, the line was further withdrawn to the eastern outskirts of that village. On October 11th at 9.30 a.m., he goes on, the 32nd Division launched an attack against Damery, but was not successful. The 4th Canadian Division improved their line by advancing it locally to reduce the Chile salient, which was still very pronounced. During the night of August 11th through the 12th, the 32nd Division and 4th Canadian Division were relieved by the 3rd and the 2nd Canadian Divisions, respectively. On August 13th, Sir Arthur Currie addressed a special order to his command as follows, quote, The first stage of this Battle of Amiens is over, and one of the most successful operations conducted by the Allied armies since the war began is now a matter of history. The Canadian Corps has every right to feel more than proud of the part it played, to move the Corps from the Arras front and, in less than a week, launch it in battle so many miles distant was in itself a splendid performance. Yet the splendor of that performance pales into insignificance when compared with what has been accomplished since zero hour on August 8th. On that date, the Canadian Corps, to which was attached the 3rd Cavalry Division, the 4th Tank Brigade, the 5th Squadron RAF attacked on a front of 7,500 yards after a penetration of 22,000 yards. The line tonight rests on a 10,000-yard frontage. Sixteen German divisions have been identified, of which four have been completely routed. Nearly 150 guns have been captured, while over 1,000 machine guns have fallen into our hands. 10,000 prisoners have passed through our cages and casualty clearing stations, a number greatly in excess of our total casualties. 25 towns and villages have been rescued from the clutch of the invaders. The Paris Amiens Railway has been freed from interference and the danger of dividing the French and British armies has been dissipated. Canada, has always placed the most implicit confidence in her army. How nobly has that confidence been justified, and with what pride has the story of your gallant success been read in the homeland. This magnificent victory has been won because your training was good, your discipline was good, your leadership was good. Given these three, success must always come. From the depths of a very full heart, I wish to thank all staffs and services, the infantry, the artillery, the cavalry, the engineers, the machine gunners, the independent force consisting of the motor machine gun brigades, and the cyclists, the tank battalions, the RAF, the medical services, the Army Service Corps, the Ordnance Corps, the Veterinary Corps, and the chaplain services for their splendid support and cooperation, and to congratulate you all on the wonderful success achieved. Let us remember our gallant dead, whose spirit shall ever be with us, inspiring us to nobler effort, and when the call again comes, be it soon or otherwise, I know the same measure of success will be yours. End, quote. End of Part 1, Chapter 7 Recording by Mike Vendetti, Canyon City, Colorado, MikeVendetti.com